That is Beard, the Gay Dad Podcast with Alex Megan and Young Dickel. Hello and welcome to another episode of Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads Podcast. I'm Alex. And I'm Jan. Hi. Hi. Alex, this season, uh, this winter season has been, I mean, it's winter here in, yes. in America, not yes. in Australia. And in LA, But, by the way, we call it winter because it rains. So, but I, what I wanted to say is that it's like a germ fest. Oh, that's true. Like it's a, every virus other than COVID. That's true. Has been attacking every kid yeah. here. And I have to say like the thing with the lack of Tylenol on the shelves. Oh my God. It's like, it's incredible. What I don't is happening? know. I don't know if all of you, our listeners have experienced shortages in the stores of like really basic things like Tylenol or uh, Motrin or whatever, but uh, it has existed and it's been pretty spooky because, you know, you become accustomed to these really basic things always being there and our kids had one of these viruses like 24-hour virus uh last week and i went to the stores all yeah. around and all the kids medicines are gone empty shelves it reminds me kind of the beginning of the pandemic in a yeah. sense that we went to the grocery store and was nothing there Um, I'm pretty sure this is still a result of the pandemic. What we're seeing here is the leftover of the supply chain of all of this stuff that used to be manufactured so evenly and regularly has gotten interrupted by all of these changes. And it's going to take us a while before everything recovers. And the doctor told us, like, we wanted to bring one of them to the doctors and they said, no, if they don't have a fever, just give them whatever and, you know... Yeah, we can't we can't handle this. Like they're collapsing now yeah, it's with nuts. It. All the kids are sick. And I think it's related to the fact that we were in masks for two years and all of these viruses waited patiently. Yeah, they sat there. They sat yeah. there. They were they like waited. filing their nails. Yeah. We're gonna see when this whole COVID is uh is ending. And uh, then it's our it's turn with like jazz hands. It's our turn. Daddy Square, the Gay Dads podcast. Today, we're going to talk about food. This is a subject which I think matters so much in parenting. But, you know, there it is an area where, you know, gay matters. It really does. Why is it matter? Well, I'll tell you why. Fact? Because this is one of those areas where gays overall, I realize this is a stereotype, but it's an important one, uh, have a tendency to have a very heavy focus on their appearance, especially before they, you know, they have children on on how they look and interact with the rest of the gay community, etc. And so much as is the case with a lot of women, there was a very, very heavy focus for men on not being overweight, building enough muscle, etc. And that can raise such challenges for you as a father, but I think it can actually really affect the way you raise your children because yeah. you start immediately upon the children's birth saying to yourselves how can i make sure that they have the right diet so that they'll grow up not only healthy but looking good because you know we got to look good right uh what uh inspired this episode is the cake for breakfast uh, uh phenomenon that the uh, scandal <laughs> the scandal that rocked america no it didn't it really It's didn't just, <laughs> but i have to say that uh you know on the parent test we talked about us giving our kids cake for breakfast and i yeah. think we kind of I mean, it's, it, it wasn't joking. I mean, we, it, it is the first thing they eat in the morning, but I have to say that it's, uh, of course, it got out of proportions and the fact that we got uh, frowned upon um, with the parents, among, among the parents on the, on the show. I have to say that I'm very sensitive to criticism. No, especially you? Especially it's around food. I don't know. It's probably the cultural thing and it's probably because my parents, I think their whole existence is about us eating. Yes. Uh, or every Jewish parents for that well, matter. Well, your parents. Um, on the show, we've been talking about how hard this has been for us and how we're trying to keep changing that. To tell you that I don't want my kids to eat cake at all no i do want them to eat cake so it's not like i'm trying to get them to the other extreme i'm just trying to find a balance i want to say that what you just said at the very end is seems to me to be the key to everything and is also what is fundamentally flawed about this show that we participated in look 
anyone who is anyone in parenting knows that there isn't like some strict set of rules. You follow them exactly and a perfect child pops out. It's ridiculous and we all know this. So so really the question is this, if you feed your children cake for breakfast, what do you do after that, right? Exactly. If, you, if you look at every little thing that parents do with their children in isolation, you have no idea what the child is and what their lives are like. Yeah. And I think that's what we're going to get into a little bit in this interview. Yes, and um, and I have to tell you also something that's related to that criticism. Um, of course, that criticism was also made by myself. I was telling myself, okay, your kids don't really eat healthy as you would would like them to. Um, even though I think that I do, I eat healthy. So it's not like a matter of like this is the example they get at home. On the contrary, but I have to tell you that uh, I have these things that I'm keep telling to myself. It's part of my new um, how do I comfort myself? Okay, it's called it's not done yet. Mm. So what does it means that okay, I see something that I want to change that I'm not happy with in the way that I raise kids, uh, my kids for that example, and I'm telling to myself it's not done. I still can change things and I t- I still can improve things. It reminds me of a story that a guy that I recently met, uh, who's uh, partially Israeli. And he speaks Hebrew fluently in an Israeli accent. Okay. And I asked him, like, how, how come your accent is so good? He wasn't born in Israel. He mm-hmm. was born in, uh, I think, in Australia. I don't remember. Um, and he told me, you know, up to age seven, I didn't speak Hebrew at all. Mm. And then one day, my mom, who's Israeli, said to me, like, I came to her and talked to her something in English. And she said, in Hebrew, I don't understand. I don't understand. <laughs> Until I started answering her in Hebrew. And from that point on, like my Hebrew has completely changed because my mom decided to change that. And I love that story and it's inspiring me because it's not done. Like if we see something that in our kids or in ourselves that we want to change, we can still do it. We're a work in progress. I have been trying to get a saying to be picked up in, you know, common culture and it's not working, but I'm going to try one more time, which is... Mel Gibson wasn't created in a day. I just, I mean... Sugar tits? Well, no, that's not his name. That's the name that he referred to a police officer I'm naming him sugar sugar tits. I'm fine with calling him anything because he's an asshole. But my point is, my point is, there is this terror that parents have that if they do something wrong, their child is going to be screwed up for life. And I don't believe that. I believe it takes... A, a lot more consistent badness to screw up your children. And when you see that you're doing something and it's not working, if you have what it takes to bend it, change it, experiment with other things, I think you're probably going to be okay. So uh, we've been contemplating about food for a while now, and this episode, I have to be completely transparent with you, it's been a journey. This was supposed to be one of the earliest episodes in the season, mm. and we kept postponing it just because... I felt that it wasn't really there. We didn't get to some to a point that we can present to you and say, "Here's our episode about cake." So um, well, it's not an episode about cake. <laughs> so we've, uh, we're going to present, um, and 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 there is a change, and I think it's a to me it's like for the better. Like I'm really happy with what you're going to hear today. We're going to present two different methods. That relates to food. Two separate interviews with uh, two experts in the topic of food and nutrition and diet, etc. And I think that the reason why Jan, our executive producer on this show, decided to do this is because we looked at the first interview that we had and we decided... Uh, and this is unusual for us, that we really wanted to bring in a separate perspective that was actually quite different from the first. The first person that we're going to listen to uh, is the first person I actually turned to when we thought about talking about food is a nutritionist. So Kevin Libby is a celebrity nutritionist here in LA. Like Willa on the parent test, he was horrified by us giving our kids cake for breakfast. (laughs) We're going to hear three minutes uh, from this interview. I want us to listen to what uh, he said, and then we're going to talk about what happened, because it's all, like I said, it's a journey. So oh. let's hear Kevin Libby, and we'll talk to you after that. All right. That is good. Um, so we all deal with the same problems. That's I come across that on a daily basis. First and foremost, when you're approaching adolescent nutrition, whether it be toddlers, you know, obviously not infants, toddlers, or into like preteens and things like that, the number one thing you don't want to do is assign any punishment or reward to foods. Right. Otherwise, you start creating a lifelong 
negative behaviors around food. You want to have uh, them have a good relationship with food, that it is there to nourish them and is there to um, give them energy. So is your biggest issue them not eating vegetables? Because when, remember, they're sponges up until they're seven years old. They're in a theta state, right? They're in a certain frequency. So they'll do whatever you do. So you got to set the example. Mm-hmm. So there is, there's no doubt an issue there in that uh, Jan does eat vegetables and I do not. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also without question the, the, the effort to mm-hmm. have food of enough variety out there yeah. that they might actually discover things that they want to eat that are more healthy than yeah. where they end up going. Yeah, but you mentioned the uh, the dinosaur-shaped chicken nuggets. Those are great. The ones from uh, uh, Trader Joe's and things like that. You look mm-hmm. and they, they don't have all the inflammatory foods, the gluten, the yeast, the mold. Right. The yeah. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. It makes it fun. Just keep trying new things that we know are not filled with... with, with Refined sugar and yeast. and Right. We noticed. Um, it's not that it's a gluten thing. Everybody thinks it's a gluten thing. Right. The yeast is, there's yeast-based bacteria that really control the brain a lot. I don't want to get too technical with like the afferent, efferent signals from gut to brain, but it really overexcites them and they get hopped up. And you could really take note mm-hmm. when you're giving the kids more prebiotic fibers or onions or you're giving in, good, in a good way or cruciferous vegetables and a lot more uh, bulk and a lot more fiber, how they're mood is much more calm and steady less mm. refined sugar more uh more like i said more seasonal fruits and things like that there's two rules i live by in life not just live by but in my in my practice in my in myself there's two laws the body always hoards and collects to protect itself so next time you see somebody that's overweight you're like oh they're in protection mm-hmm. mode that's mm-hmm. number one number two is there's a law of supercompensation in nature so the more you correct this way, the more nature will overcorrect. The other way it happens in markets, economies, but it also happens with food. So the more you restrict, the more they're going to go. So what yeah. you're doing is is not a bad thing, but maybe there's a healthier alternative. Well, I mean, it's just like when um, when a person's on a pharmaceutical medication, you don't just cut it off because there could be there's damage. So you have to titrate. So you gradually introduce some things and kind of look and see their the way they're responsive to it. So. Bread's not a horrible thing. I'm just saying my son reacts very interestingly to bread. We can bring in like a, le- a, non- a non-leavened bread, so not made with yeast, you know, like a, a, a sprouted bread. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of different different choices um, with different seeds that has texture. They do like carbs and they need carbs. They're growing. They sure. need that insulin to grow. There's three growth hormones, growth hormone, testosterone, and, and, and insulin. The kids don't have the testosterone. They're just growing, so they need carbs to grow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And people will challenge that, but we need carbs. So that's not a bad thing. But we can make an, a better alternative, like I said, non-leavened bread. Um, we want to do like, like a non-dairy uh, uh, cream cheese, like an almond-based cheese. You know, the dairy, that's where you get all the eczema and psoriasis and, and gut and autoimmune issues. So maybe something like that, introduce it, and then we can get, we don't need to go broccoli for breakfast. I mean, right. good Lord. Maybe start, instead of giving them a full bowl, let's start you off with just a spoonful. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't like that? All right, we'll take it away. Right, yeah. You know, but we're gonna, it's it's all about testing the waters and every, there's no two kids are alike. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin Libby. The full interview with Kevin can be found now on daddysqr.com slash food. And I have to tell you, we tried it. So uh, Kevin's, I, I, I thought it was very extreme because he was like talking to us about not yeast, not dairy, not, you know, all the regular things that we have basically in the grocery store. And so I went to the to that stores that he recommended, and I we really tried. Like we tried alternatives. We tried, you know, all the different bread and different. Even like we tried to do it gradually, like uh, not cake from the grocery store, but but different kind of cakes, and it like to go down, and then we tried different kind of yogurts that they eat. Um, it didn't really work, and I think that the reason why it didn't really work is. It's hard to maintain and be consistent with these things. So it's expensive. Yep. It's not like something that you find in every grocery store. Yep. You have to really dedicate a lot of time to it. And I was frustrated. First of all, I felt bad about myself. I felt that, that I'm not good enough parent because I'm, I can't really feed my children correctly. And the children did not respond well to it. And, and I was, and it made me thinking like, should I really prevent bread and 
milk from them. I don't know. And then I, I was talking uh, with my friend and she told me about this girl in her kid's class. Her child is now 14, but she had, when she was younger, she had like the best friend. And every time she came to their house, she already knew where the um, snacks are and she would raid the snack cabinet like crazy. And she was like, my mom is not here, so I can do that. Yeah, well, and I mean, it's a matter of being deprived of something that everybody else is excited to have and that is chemically designed to light up parts of your brain, whether it's cake or Doritos or Pop-Tarts or whatever. All of these things are... You are your body is just predisposed to want them and want them really badly. What you said first is the most important part. A parent has to dedicate a lot of their lives in this modern time to getting kind of organizing the food that their children will eat to be of the level that he's describing. And most of us don't have the time or the motivation to do that kind but of I'm work. But I want to say that there probably our parents out there that want to do this thing. And I'm saying, you go for it because this is amazing. It's amazing. It's perfect. It's just perfect. I don't have any anything else to say. Like, I just... I wish I could do that. But I just can't. I think we just have to be careful to balance our desire to set up the right environment for our children against a realization that there are some aspects of who they are that are predetermined. There are certain limits to what we're going to be able to pull off, and we have to find a balance of getting the right uh, kind of diet and food for our children and for ourselves against the broader lives that we live. Uh, like I said, we tried it and it was epic fail, <laughs> epic parenting fail. And I said to myself, okay, this if this is the perfect way, let's go down a few notches from perfect to good enough. Ah. Okay. Following our failure, I kept postponing this episode <laughs> until I found Dr. Matthew Riley. I found him in the Gay Dads group on Facebook. He's a pediatric gastroenterologist. Wow, that was amazing. Wait, hey, everybody. That was excellent, Jan. Uh, who believes in no shade, no shame diet for your kids. Uh, this conversation has changed our lives. Telling you. Uh? So uh, listen to it very carefully and take <laughs> notes. Here's our interview with Matthew. Oh, he's also a gay dad. Did you said that? that already. Okay. Dr. Matthew Riley, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. I want to start with sugar. I want to start middle and end with sugar. So, go ahead. Okay. I want to talk to you a little bit about sugar because sugar is becoming such a taboo for for giving children. And and I want like people, some parents are like even afraid to say that they give their kids candy and stuff like that. And I want to hear your opinion about that. So, I mean, I think... When you talk about anything related to nutrition, I think you really got to go back to what really are the building blocks of nutrition. And I think there's so many things that get layered on top of that. And some of them are necessary and some of them are, are not horribly necessary. And, and sugar is just sugar. It's just carbohydrates. Like literally everything uh, or nearly everything that we eat has sugar in it. And so it's, you know, it's sugar, fats, proteins. Those are the three macronutrients that humans need to survive whether you want to call it sugar or carbohydrates, that's really all the same thing. So, um, I, but I think what, what many people are talking about when they say whether I, whether I give my kids sugar or not, is there, I think they're really talking about processed sugar, foods with added sugar, or foods where the primary macronutrient. So if you look at the label, like it's mostly or only sugar-based and, uh, and especially those simple sugars like glucose, fructose, those things, right? If you look at a muffin or bread, those are full of complex carbohydrates, which are all technically sugars as well. So um, I think it's a, it's a really bigger issue that gets really oversimplified for a lot of people. And then that leads to this overlay of shaming or what the technical term is orthorexia, like feeling like I, what I'm feeding myself or my children or those around me is right. Uh, and there really is no one right food to eat or one right way to eat or formulate your diet. So, um, but it definitely gets, um, gets put out there in, in a, in a very shamey, blamey way. Well, so, you know, safe to say, right, that there's such a thing as too much sugar. There's such a thing as, I assume, too little sugar. If you have none at all, you're probably going to drop dead. But um, exactly. can you give us a little bit of advice about where 
not not just the amount of sugar, but are there better and worse places for sugar to be presented in, especially a child's day, right? Because part of the issue is, um, you know, would you do it right before bed? Our assumption is absolutely not because they're not going to fall asleep. Uh, but I don't know, you know, if there are ways of scheduling sugar that matter. So I, th- I think the, the simple answer to that question is, is probably not. Um, but what's, I think the better question is what you're having it with. And so how are you mixing and combining foods together so that they're presented in a balanced way? Um, so if you talk to, you know, our dietitians, they'll talk to you about every meal or snack really ideally, um, you know, would be some balance of a carbohydrate based item, a protein source and then probably a fruit or vegetable option. So typically it's a grain, a protein, a fruit, and a vegetable. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's being presented in a in a sort of filled out way and not just, oh, here's a teaspoon of table sugar, right? I don't think any of us would feel good about doing that uh, on a regular basis. But at the same time, there of course, there's, there's, there's a place for that too, right? Candy is delicious. That's why we have it, right? Um, should that be done in excess? Uh, Probably not. Should that be the sole source of your carbohydrates? Probably not. Um, But I don't think there's any one right way. Jan started out talking about how we've been giving our kids cake at breakfast. And so what I think I'm hearing you say, and please tell me I have this wrong because it's fine, is that it's not really so much a matter of whether they get cake for breakfast or, or at, you know, in the evening or in the afternoon. It's what is it balanced out against and, you know, what is the overall diet? Is that, is that right? Correct. I mean, you know, and whether we label it a, a cake for breakfast, is that really different than saying a muffin for breakfast or toast and jam for breakfast? Or you know, these are all from a macronutrient basis. When you look at just the nutrition going into your body, those are all really, really similar options. And I think some of them just get labeled as we have this food at this time and this food at that time. Right. Does it really matter, right? I mean, a, a baguette and a, a hot cocoa, a hot chocolate for breakfast with butter, is, it's, that's an amazing breakfast, right? Um, does that seem sugary? Maybe, but that's fine. It's going to be right. balanced out with something else later in the day. Great. So what is the category of these? Uh, so let's say you're, you're saying cake, muffin, uh, what did you say? Uh, toast with butter. Toast with jam. With jam. Yeah. So is there anything else? Like I, I would say some, most of the people give cereal. Is that different? How is that different? Yeah, it's, it's really not. And so, again, you look at most um, breakfast cereals are going to be mostly carbohydrate, probably very little protein. Um, most people would probably pair that with a milk or milk substitute of some kind, which is likely going to have some protein in there too, depending which one you have. Um so, right. So it's like if it was cereal with milk and a banana, right? There you have, you have your protein source, your carbohydrate source, your fruit or vegetable, off you go. Yeah. Um, and you can feel really good about that. If I can tell you a little funny story, yeah. um, someone who's now 19 was always obsessed with Reese's Puffs, right? So it was like these, what we would sort of consider like this sugary cereal, right? Uh, and we even, when he was young, I would even hold that out as a reward. Like if he did things and sort of earned points or things. I think you guys have a point system, right? So we had something kind of similar. And one of his favorite things was to pick out a cereal. He could earn that privilege. And so we'd go to the cereal aisle and it was like, whatever you want, just pick one. Um, and so this went on for years. It was He would always pick something like that. And, and even these days, it's been like fruity pebbles or frosted flakes or any of these things you would consider, you know, a sugary cereal. And then um, one day, a couple of years ago, he went to his checkup with his pediatrician and he was talking about food and diet and what he eats. And he's like, oh my gosh, my favorite sales is Reese Puffs. And the guy gave him actually kind of a hard time about it and kind of gave me a little side eye. Uh, and I've known our pediatrician for years and years and I didn't say anything. I'm like, this is not worth it bringing up. But the next time we went to the store, um, my son and I spent about 20 minutes in the cereal aisle and half the, half the cereal aisle at our local grocery store is like sort of these classic you know, sugary cereals. And the other half is sort of these twice the price organic versions of the same thing. And when you look at them side by side, the nutritional labels are nearly identical. Organic cereals, the actual free, you know, sugar content in them was actually a little bit higher. So even cereals have really changed over the past, you know, uh, decade or so to really be far less sugary. There's still carbohydrates in them, obviously. 
Uh, they're a grain product, uh, but they're really, really similar to what you could easily spend twice as much on on the other side of the aisle. The closest thing I can get to that is that that I uh, I picked up a bag. It's this this plastic artisanal looking bag of granola that was in the the very expensive portion of the aisle that you were talking about. And I was like, ooh, granola. And I looked at the back of it, and oh, my God. I mean, it should have a warning on it that it will kill you instantly. It was like, you know, 3,000 grams of fat and, you know, I don't know, cyanide was in that bag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, granola, we, we view that. We sort of label this a health food. But, yeah, when you look at it, it's incredibly nutrient-dense. If you were to have a, a bowl of granola for breakfast, I mean, you would be taking in hundreds and hundreds of calories. Yep. I, I really would like to uh, to for you to kind of help us to try to build a healthy eating dinner schedule uh, for the week for our kids. Uh, but before that, I really want to just to close the sugar part of that uh, conversation in uh, what do you think is the balance overall of sugar should be? So, for example, for us... Yes, we give uh, we give the cake for breakfast, but all throughout the day, that's I mean that's it. That's what they eat. But um, I mean, in, as, as in terms of sugar. But um, is there any? What is the balance uh, according to your opinion? Again, I think it's it's got to be in combination with other things, and uh, you know, and having variety throughout the day. So if you're having, you know, ca- cake, this carbohydrate you know, rich source for breakfast, you're going to want to be sure that somewhere else in the day you're getting in those, those proteins and, and, um, you know, and other things as well. So you really just have to balance it throughout the day. And I think that's another important thing to remember too, is we really don't think about nutrition on a meal to meal basis. And we'll talk a little bit about how you can strive for that. But, um, you know, when we really think about it for older kids, you're really thinking about it within the course of a day. And when you're talking about toddlers, we really think about it over the course of a week, how are they getting all these things in? You know, maybe it was, you know, crazy broccoli Thursday and they didn't eat a bite of it the rest of the week. Well, but they got all these different nutrients in them throughout the entire week even. Um, so you're just, again, looking for that balance and making sure it's a part of your diet, but not the sole source of your nutrition. Yeah, and and uh, on the parent test, some of the parents uh, talked about um, just completely avoid sugar at all do you think i think it's um it's a little bit even dangerous because it's kind of a you have a risk of the kids like being deprived of sugar and just go after the after it when the parent is not watching and it can become an obsession what do you say about that yeah no exactly and first of all i think people who say you know we don't give our kids sugar again you have to go back to what do you really mean by that because if your kid had a carrot today they ingested sugar so you gave them sugar so what do you really okay all of that right right so i think you do have to be really thoughtful about the foods that you offer kids the context in which you offer them um and i think as best you can trying to be neutral to positive about any food right so we don't hold foods back because they're these reward foods, right? These foods are already rewarding in themselves, right? Our bodies have a natural reward system when we ingest fats, ingest sugars. Like we get that internal reward already. So when we hold those things out as some prize for behavior or only on these most special occasions do we get that, you're just amping up that that already natural reward system that exists for us as humans anyway. And again, what we're really striving for with kids is getting not only that balanced nutrition we're talking about, but also developing this healthy attitude towards food. How do I relate to food? What does it mean to me? It's there as a source of nourishment. It's there to fuel my body. It's there to keep me healthy. And sometimes it's for fun, right? Sometimes it's delicious. Sometimes we have things to celebrate and be with people and mark occasions. But it shouldn't be this obsessive thing like, oh my gosh, these are these taboo foods which then we give more power to. Where Alex and I, we've, we've said it a few times during the podcast, during the, five, the past five years, we're struggling with dinners. And the reason is why, first of all, we don't, well, I mean, we can cook if we have a recipe, right? But the thing is that we're both working. We have no talent and no passion in cooking and we've been in the kitchen for a long time. And we don't have the time and the capacity. We don't have any help. Nobody, you know, can cook can do it for us. Is there any way that we can schedule dinners um, in a way that it's going to be not boring, so not the same thing every day, but also very nutritious in terms of what the kids should uh, should be able to to help have to be healthy? 
Yeah, I think the, the answer is yes, of course, right? Uh, and you point out something I think really important, which is not every parent is passionate about cooking and meal preparation, and that's okay. You don't have to be, right? Because again, it's it's about sustenance. It's about nutrition. It's about being together as a family doing it. You, this doesn't have to be the source of your, you know, your purpose as a parent is, is food preparation. Um, my big themes are A, set your standards lower. Um, I think sort of the blessing and the curse of American cuisine is that we have such a mix of things. It feels redundant. If you're like, oh my gosh, we had Mexican food twice this week. You're like, guess what? When we go to Mexico, we have Mexican food every night. When you go to Italy, you have Italian food every night, right? I think we set ourselves up for the standard that it's got to be this new, brand new, interesting dish with totally different ingredients than what we had the day before every single night, which is just not practical. It's exhausting. It's expensive. It doesn't serve anyone. It's also hugely wasteful, by the way, if we you know want to touch on that too. Right. Um, so my big theme, and again, it goes back to this basic idea of what makes up a meal and how do you put that together? Um, and, you know, I, I'm sort of getting older, so I, re- I, I still, when I was young, wore granimals, if anyone remembers those, right? So sure. it's sort of this match idea of your clothing. Um, and how do you construct a meal? Again, we're talking about we want a grain. We hopefully want sort of a whole grain if possible. We want a protein source. We want a fruit and or vegetable. So how do you put those elements together on a plate to serve it up in, in short order? Um, and, and I have a little system I can share with you guys, but it basically is taking each of those categories, figuring out which of those work for your family, which of those work for your kids, which are maybe are some, some really seafood you can always rely on being a hit at home. What are maybe some things you're adding in as a little bit more exploration in each of those categories? And then yourselves being free to just mix them together. And that also gives the kids some say too, right? So they, hey, here are choices in each of these categories. Which of these things do we want to mix and match together? Um, yeah. This is something you could actually make on your make on a list, put on your refrigerator and have it there. So when you're like, oh my gosh, it's five, what am I going to do? It's right there. So like my example would be, and again, you could adapt this to your, to your family. So under those grains, right? You have options, right? You can boil pasta, right? You can boil noodles, right? Great. You can make rice, yeah. right? You can bake a potato if you had to, yeah, you right. can buy tortillas and have them in the fridge, right? So we already, there we have, what was that? Four or five grain options done, right? Okay. Proteins. What does that mean? And, and you know that, and also that means any of your dairy products, if you want to, too. I think people sometimes forget that, right? So that that cheese on the grilled cheese, guess what? We already have a grain and a protein with the grilled cheese sandwich. You add some apples on the side, you have a complete meal. Done, mm-hmm. right? So we add whatever those proteins are. And some of them are very, very, can be very easy, a lot easier than others. Cheese, dairy products can be easy if those are things you do. I love eggs. Eggs are so easy to do. They can be quick. They can be done a million ways. So if you're going to invest in like how to, I'm going to learn to cook a couple things, Learn to cook, you know, a sunny side of egg, boiled eggs, scrambled eggs. Wow, yeah. you now got three protein options. Beans I love, refried beans, plain beans, legumes, that is your peas, hummus, yeah, edamame. We used to love those. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's true. He's making a list and I'm saying, oh, my God, that's right. I could do those things. Sorry, this is how idiotic I am about food. Please continue. I love your list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So, and then, and I, you know, I put on here like, and then the easy ones, right? I try to do less meat, right? I think we should all try to do that. Yeah. But if you're like, hey, chicken nuggets, we love the chicken nuggets, great. Have those in the freezer ready to go. Those, there's your protein option. Or if you want to get a little fancy, right? You chop them up and those go in your tortilla that you had or with your hummus. And now we have, we're starting to get a mix of things, right? Or maybe mm-hmm. we made the mac and cheese, but we're going to add that protein element to it. And then add that fruit or vegetable on the side. Um, peanut butter is another easy one, right? So again, plain peanut butter, you get a little more advanced. Suddenly you've got noodles and a peanut sauce, right? Like all these basic elements start to kind of mix and match. And then as you get a little more interested, maybe, or the kids get a little more interested, you can sort of up your level in, with any of those things and start getting a little more um, you know, adventurous with how you combine those things. That is great. I want to ask you one little trick question. Um, We have a child who will not uh, eat vegetables, but I mean, when I say he will not eat vegetables, Ronald Reagan's definition of a vegetable being ketchup, he will eat. 
apparently he's a Reaganite at the age of seven. Um, but all of the rest of vegetables will not go into this child's body. What is your, do you have any trick foods that are um, good ways of introducing vegetables into a vegetable resistant person? So um, absolutely. And I, and I, I would sort of, again, back it up and be like, my kid doesn't eat vegetables. They haven't eaten vegetables as I presented them to them up to now. Right. Yeah. Right. right? <laughs> so, right. We're not, we're not labeling the child. We're labeling, not labeling the behavior. Right. And I would like them to eat some of the vegetable options as I present them to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think one important thing to think about with, with vegetables in particular is um, the preparation. Right. So again, if you're like, I'm, I'm not really a great chef in the kitchen, I always tell people like you've got to have three basic cooking skills, boiling, not that hard, right? Sauteing, right? Throw it in the pan and then we call it sauteing. That sounds fancy. And then pan roasting, which is basically you throw it on a pan covered in oil and salt. You put it in the oven at 450 till it's brown, right? These are not hard techniques. And so my, my little joke to myself uh, is if there is a vegetable that has been presented in a way that is not appetizing, pan roast it. Right. It's essentially making French fries out of any vegetable you can imagine, whether it's asparagus, broccoli, cauliflower, carrots. Yeah. Then you don't. If you don't like it, then you're not going to like it. Yeah. We'll, we'll let you know. He's extremely clever. <laughs> yeah. And, but we'll and let then, you know. And, and then, it, you know, and get creative, right? These are, these are not carrot. These are carrot fries. These <laughs> are broccoli fries, right? They are, you know, you're presenting them in a different way. And the other piece is, if it doesn't work out that one time, or if it's just a taste that one time, that's okay. They just keep coming out. You right. know, my, my nice girl son is like, why, why am I the only one in high school who, who likes asparagus? I'm like, cause I make French fries out of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Understood. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, we tried, so there are all these, um, he eats a uh, chicken a lot. So there are chicken nuggets with broccoli inside or with, um, what's the other one? Cauliflower. Right. You know, so cauliflower, it even doesn't have a different um, different color, but he still would say, oh, that's something wrong with that chicken. <laughs> you know, he would re- recognize that. So, um, you know. It'll uh, be tricky. But, we're, not, we're not here to trick our kids. Oh, we're not? Well, <laughs> we actually say that fish sticks are our chicken that are made in, in the form of, they call it fish sticks because it, the stick looks like fish. So and we kind of got him to eat fish sticks as well. Um, so we do actually. <laughs> yeah, we we, yeah. we lie to our children a lot. Um, I want to leave the the children for a little bit because I have a very a question that it's like on my mind a lot. Uh, there is like this uh, phenomenon in LA. I don't know, maybe in America, but it's certainly in LA about the fasting. So people fast for adults. We've moved for over adults. to adults now. So 16, Sixteen hours. 16 hours uh, fasting. Um, so I wanted to know what's your opinion about that. Is that a myth? Uh, and do you have to uh, really do that for a certain amount of time for it to work? Yeah, I, might, I might get shade for this, but I would just put that squarely in the fat diet category. So um, yes, it's interesting. It's popular. You can buy books. You can go on talk shows and, and do it. And, and you can do this and, and tell all your friends you're doing it and and kind of do the I'm better than you because I'm doing this thing. When you're looking for any diet, again, first questions are, why am I doing this? What's the point? What is my goal out of this? And is it sustainable, right? Is this a style of eating that I will be able to do now, a year from now, 10 years from now, if that's what my goal is? And I think for many of these fad diets, it's just not sustainable for a lot of people. So with intermittent fasting, essentially what you are, what you're doing is just calorie reduction. So you're just limiting the times of day during which you're going to eat, which for almost everybody doing it is going to result in calorie reduction and then weight loss. You're just setting up specific rules for yourself to make that happen. Um, But for most people, that's not going to be sustainable long-term. So the notion that um, by, by, uh, fasting for a period of time and then eating your metabolism gets a, I don't know, like a shock to its system that has a certain value sounds fatty to you. That was a D fat D as opposed to T. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yes. Yes. I would, I would say so. And there's, you know, there's still a lot of research to be done. And I would say nutrition research is probably one of the biggest 
areas of potential impact and probably one of the least well-funded areas too. So um, not to say that there might not be any differences, but for most people, it's also not going to be sustainable. So then where does that get you? I guarantee you that Frito-Lay spends plenty of money on nutrition research, but it's in the direction of- yeah. Food science gets plenty of money, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, you mentioned your kids, so, uh, and you have one, one kid? How many? I do. I have one son who is now 19. Oh, 19. And it, he it exclusively eats uh, Frankenberry um, for breakfast. That's what I, <laughs> I, I, think there, I think there is a half bag of Fruity Pebbles in the cabinet right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was very excited. Right. He discovered baked beans. It was like his new food. He was very excited about that. <laughs> Like, okay. uh, Dr. Matthew Riley, thank you so much for for talking to us. I I feel a lot better. Yeah, I mean, me I too. Think we're going to um, maybe run the list. I'm going to make the list and run it by you to see if you have something else to add, and we're going to put it on our on our. Yeah, we we well. would love that. Oh yeah, and, and if I can say one more thing, I mean the, the the most important thing we can really do for kids in nutrition is is be with them, is eat with them, make that an enjoyable time as much as you can. Uh, and that's what's really going to help them develop good good habits and, and a good future and a good relationship with food is is making is coupling that with a good relationship with their parents. Oh, that's nice. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Matthew Riley, and this is how we change our lives. So we now have a list. It's not up on the fridge yet, but it will be by the time the episode uh, drops because I made it like nicely and Ooh. it's going to be uh, up for download as well. I worked on that list with Matthew, with Dr. Matthew. Um, it has lists of grains, protein and vegetables or fruit. And now all we have to do when we are uh, having any kind of meal, including, by the way, breakfast, which I'll get to in a second, we kind of make sure that we have every, every kind of that category. Yeah. All, so the food, all the necessary food groups. Yes. One of the extra things that I did before we started this thing is that I talked to my kids about these three type of food groups that combine a healthy meal. And now every time I introduce a meal to them, I announce it. You have cake for grains, yogurt for protein, and you have a banana for fruit. And I think it works. Yeah, I think it's like, good. It's important for them to kind of understand that... Um, what meal is combined from and um and it works well because it makes them even eat a little bit fruit which they didn't up to now so um i'm really happy <laughs> I'm, i'm telling you like that made me feel really good yeah uh so our list of uh grains protein and vegetables inspired by dr riley and with his help thank you very much for helping us uh, uh combine this is now available to download if you want it on your fridge <laughs> Uh, you can just go to the episode page and, and download, and it's go also going to be available on daddysqr.com slash food. Daddysqr.com Okay, I need to take a moment on our podcast to talk about my husband. One of the things in life that I am trying really hard to transmit to my children is the idea that, uh, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Uh, That's nice. We always tell children that's not really true. Uh, names can hurt you a lot. But interestingly, almost always, the only names that hurt you are the ones that you believe in a little bit yourself. Yes, and, it's, and I don't, so I don't, I'm not saying it's not true. You are a raw nerve when it comes to food and the, the concept of feeding your children and how you feed them and other things having to do with generally parenting. And the reason why is because you don't believe you're good at it. And notwithstanding what the parent test television show tells the world, We're the worst in we world. are the worst parents in America. Yeah, <laughs> we We, we, you and I are really good at this. And we are really good at this because we care enough to be trying. And I think, I, I think that anyone who is listening to this podcast is the same way because they wouldn't be listening to this podcast if they weren't also trying. Or at least open. To right, try. exactly. Yeah, and I so agree. I have to tell you that uh, uh, talking about defensive, uh, so my brother was here. Yeah. Uh, with his wife uh, visiting us. And one of the things that he told me, you know, you are so great as parents, but the food thing is really a problem. 
Well, what does he mean? So, the food thing is really—it's really a problem. You have to really pay attention to that. Your brother, by the way, everybody. His brother is married to a wonderful woman, and they uh, would like to have children, but they don't currently have them. And we will go to their kitchen Let's see in 10 when years. their children are two years old, and we will see what kind of dinosaur-shaped chicken they're feeding them. <laughs> this is men having babies corner. Men Having Babies is a wonderful organization, nonprofit that helps gay men become uh, fathers and build their families uh, through surrogacy. Today, the Men Having Babies Director of Business Development and Programming, Sarah Miller, is going to talk to us about finding the right match with your surrogate, what you should ask yourself before you move on with the surrogate. Let's hear from Sarah. Finding the right match for you with your surrogate is complicated and there's not one answer for all of you. I really encourage you to take some time, do some soul searching and be really honest and true about what you're looking for because there's not a right or a wrong answer. Some guys really, really want to work with a surrogate who they hope to form this organic, natural relationship with and have this woman be a part of their lives forever, right? They, they develop this relationship and this woman stays in their life. Others really aren't looking for a long-term relationship. They, of course, want someone who they respect and trust, but they don't envision their long-term family having the surrogate really involved in any capacity. And then be honest with your agency um, about what you hope that match looks like. Of course, if you're working with an agency, they're not going to present anyone to you who isn't medically right, who hasn't gone through the, the mental health screenings and isn't a good candidate. So really, we're not talking about, of course, you don't want somebody who does drugs or who smokes or who has risky behaviors, but think about the relationship and what you're envisioning for the surrogate and your family in the future. Take time to figure out what you're looking for and then don't compromise, even though the temptation will be there to say, Oh, this isn't exactly what I'm envisioning, but it's close. Maybe it'll change. Maybe I'll get what I want. You're setting yourself up um, for disappointment if you're not going into a match with someone who is really aligned with you on what they're looking for long term. And so if that means waiting a little bit longer, I encourage you to do that after you've determined what that long term relationship really looks like to you. For more information, go to menhavingbabies.org. Thank you, Sarah Miller. Alex, uh, it reminds me that uh, of a conversation that we had in the kitchen a few days ago and you said how long life is. I mean, three years that we spend going through surrogacy, including that year uh, that we had a uh, so close relationship with Carly. It seems like a totally different life. Oh, yeah. I, was, I think the reason why that came up was because we were standing in the kitchen and I was kind of like looking around and I was thinking about the fact that I have a husband to whom I'm married and we, have, we live in a house and we have two children who are asleep in their beds and I'm saying to myself, no, 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 because I am a young person who doesn't have any of those things and, you know, uh, what, I'm just like starting out trying to find a job, what, what, what's going on? And then I realized, no, actually, I, I do have all of these things and uh, it's an unbridled miracle and I only hope that for those of you who are uh, working on the process of becoming parents, whether it's through surrogacy or it's through adoption or any other way that it, you want to do it, uh, that you come to that moment when you realize how profound that blessing is. Daddy, that's QR.com. Before we go, I think that there's a really important subject for us to discuss. Our children. What is the subject? Our children are twin seven-year-olds, and they and their friends from school have entered uh, fully into the period of butts. You heard me. Butts. Oh, Everything yeah. is butts. It's butts. It's farting. It's pooping. It's diarrhea. It's butts. And so what yeah. that means... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, it's going to get worse, okay? Because one day it's going to switch over from butts and poop to like sex stuff. And then I'm going to have to commit suicide. But until then, uh, it's butts. And that means drawings of butts. Yeah, he uh, Adam drew uh, butts with farts coming out and poop. Uh, just and he's for- like, it's his favorite thing. But I, I mean... 
Wait, it's wait, like, wait, wait. Such a but I just to point then... you out, just to point out, he did that and he didn't do it so so very well. So my husband actually showed him the more correct way to draw a fart emanating from a person's butt. Let's just be clear about that, okay? Yeah, I mean, well, a, you have to participate in your kid's joy. That's right, and it is joy. And 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 here's the thing: like, um, I think you're right that it is more of a boy thing than a girl thing, and so be it. You know, like if our children happen to be gender normative when it comes to you know flatulence, then you know, so be it. Uh, you know, we we mentioned my, my brother before, but <laughs> I remember very clearly because I'm a little bit older than him. I never did that. I never had that uh, fart face. The fart thing. Um, but he certainly did. Like I remember oh. v- uh, very clearly us, like family, sitting down at dinner, and my father said to him, "All I have to do in order to make you laugh is say the word fart in Hebrew," <laughs> and he cracked up. It's like fart. Oh, like my, as just for those of you who don't know, the word for fart in Hebrew, it's really kind of excellent. It's flots. It's onomatopoeia. It's very onomatopoetic. And look, in all seriousness, you know, I, I've told you guys before, I'm half Iranian, and there's something in Iranian culture that really is uncomfortable with discussions of like poop and things like that. I got to tell you, I've gotten over it. I've gotten over it big time because my kids are going to talk about it endlessly, and there ain't nothing I can do. Yeah, and it was really funny when I met him. And I couldn't really talk about this stuff. No. And I said, well, you, Alex, you you poop uh, red or pink hearts. I do. I, I, I do. I, I poop flowers and, uh, and That's rainbows. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> well, I, everybody. I think, I think that Ben once told me. Yes. <laughs> very recently that girls uh, poop flowers. I'm sure they do. I wouldn't know. I mean, I don't even have a lot yeah, of women girl. around us, but I assume that women poop flowers and, and rainbows. Um, you know, this was a really important subject for us to to bring to the attention of our wonderful listener audience. Poop or food? Farts, well, it's kind of related. And, farts and poop. Well, yes, because... It's the cycle. It, it's, it's the it's circle of life. Circle of life. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you for all the feedback that we received in the past uh, two weeks. I think I, I answered everyone. Uh, well, at least the friendly yeah, ones. Yeah, maybe I didn't not the hateful the, ones. Yeah. yeah, But you can still write to us at hello at daddysqr.com. Um, Alex, thank you. Oh, no, thank you, Jan. Uh, see you all very soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.